0: Welcome to Spiritual Warfare. My name is Teresa. Today I will be reading from the book Imagine Heaven by John Burke. Near-death experiences, God's promises, and the exhilarating future that awaits you. Forward by Don Piper. I also watched a movie over the weekend on Amazon It's called Heaven's War. It cost five bucks to watch it, but it was worth it. There was somebody on their deathbed and an angel was sitting beside them, just comforting them, letting them know everything was going to be okay. And when the angel turned around and looked in the doorway, there was a gurney going by with a demon following the gurney, waiting on that patient to take its last breath so he could take it to hell. That movie will reveal a lot. Watch it if you can. Welcome, and I'm going to start with the common near-death experience experience. Seven-year-old Katie was found floating face down in a swimming pool A pediatrician resuscitated her at an emergency room, but she remained profoundly comatose. Massive swelling of the brain, no gag reflex, with an artificial lung breathing for her. He gave her a 10% chance of surviving. Astonishingly, she made a full recovery within three days. When she returned for a follow-up appointment with the pediatrician, Katie recognized Dr. Morse. She told her mom, that's the one with the beard. First, there was this tall doctor who didn't have a beard, and then he came in. First, I was in a big room, and then they moved me to a small room where they did x-rays on me. She explained the way the doctors put a tube down her nose, all accurate, but seen while her eyes were shut and her brain was deeply comatose. Morse asked her what she remembered about her near-death drowning. After all, if it resulted from a seizure, she might have another one. Katie responded, do you mean when I visited the Heavenly Father? That's a good place to start, Morse said, skeptically yet intrigued. Tell me about meeting the Heavenly Father. I met Jesus and the Heavenly Father, she said. Perhaps it was his shocked expression. Perhaps her natural shyness kicked in. Whatever the reason, that's all she'd say for the appointment. The next week, Katie was more talkative. She remembered nothing of the drowning, but recalled an initial darkness, then a tunnel, through which Elizabeth came. She described her as a tall and nice with white, bright, golden hair. Elizabeth, her angel, accompanied Katie through the tunnel where she met several people, including her late grandfather, two young boys named Mark and Andy, and others. During those days lying comatose, Katie reported having other near-death episodes where she followed her family home while out of her physical body and claimed she saw her brothers pushing a G.I. Joe in a Jeep. She reported watching her mom cook roast chicken and rice. She even knew what clothes each member of the family wore that night. Her parents were shocked at the detailed accuracy. Finally, Elizabeth took Katie to meet the Heavenly Father and Jesus. The father asked if she wanted to go home. She wanted to stay. Jesus asked if she wanted to see her mother. She said yes, and then she woke up. Katie's story opened Dr. Morse's eyes. Dr. Morse conducted the first systematic study of near-death experience in children at Seattle Children's Hospital. He interviewed 121 children who had been near-death and found similar accounts to Katie's. He also interviewed a control group of 37 children who had been given potentially mind-altering drugs, but none of these reported a near-death experience. When studies done on hundreds of children report the same core elements to their near-death experience, you have to stop and ponder how so many children completely oblivious to near-death experience stories could confirm the same common elements as adults adults from around the world. The core near-death experience experience. Although no two experiences are alike, and some outlying details should be skeptically questioned, There are amazingly common elements to the core near-death experience described by young and old across cultures in different languages. Researchers and individuals do not all agree on interpretation of the experience. Who, for instance, is this being of light? But they agree on the core experience. Dr. Long reports on the percentage of each core element described in his study of 1,300 near-death experiences from around the world. Out-of-body experience, separation of consciousness from the physical body is 75.4%. Heightened senses, 74.4%. More conscious and alert than normal. Intense and generally Positive emotions of feelings, incredible peace, 76.2%. Passing into or through a tunnel, 33.8%. See that? I don't know. I'm going back to that tunnel again. I can't help it. I don't like dark tunnels, so hopefully I won't have to pass through that. Encountering a mystical or brilliant light, 64.6%. Encountering other beings, either mystical beings or deceased relatives or friends, 57.3%. A sense of alteration of time or space, 60.5%. Life review, 22.2%. We all know what the word says about that. Your life will be flashed in front of your face and you will be responsible For what you did. Let's try really, really hard to be nice and loving. Another one encountering unworldly heavenly realms, 52.2%. Encountering or learning special knowledge, 56%. Encountering a boundary or barrier, 31%. A return to the body, 58.5% 58.5% were aware of a decision to return. Boy, and it sounds like as soon as they make up their mind, their journey's over. They It's just, boom, they're back, back on earth, like, really quick, and that's all they remember. After 30 years of research as a practicing oncologist, skeptically looking at all the alternative explanations, Dr. Long concludes, there is no chance with a flat EEG that electrical activity in the lower parts of the brain could account for the kind of highly lucid and ordered experiences described by near-death experiencers. Lucidity coupled with the predictable order of core elements establishes that near-death experiences are not dreams or hallucinations, nor are they due to any other causes of impaired brain functioning. At first, I was skeptical of adults telling these stories, especially when they had something to gain by selling books. Dr. Long's collection of What's Grown to over 3,000 testimonies on his website is important for two reasons. First, none were paid. They were not benefiting from selling a book and it, ta- and it takes close to 30 minutes to complete his extensive questionnaire. There's not much to gain personally and it actually costs time. Second, the reports come from all over the globe, verifying the similarities of the core experience. A global phenomenon. In Holland, in 1969, a cardiologist, Pim Van Lommel, resuscitated a patient whose response shocked him. The doctor recalls that the patient expressed deep disappointment after he was revived. He was extremely emotional as he talked about the tunnel, the colors, the light, and the beautiful landscape and music he had experienced. The term near-death experience did not yet exist, and I had never heard of people remembering the period of their cardiac arrests," says Dr. Van Lommel. I was taught that there is a reductionist and materialist explanation for everything, and up until that point, I had always accepted this as indisputably true. He read Dr. Ritchie's book in 1986 and started asking his patients who had been resuscitated about their experience. What he discovered is that people don't tell unless ask. They don't want to be labeled crazy. I want to stop there for a second. I don't know if I would feel that way. I think I would probably be so excited to tell everybody what I saw, what I experienced. Maybe not though, but um, well, I guess people probably truly would think you were crazy though, but Again, I don't care what people think of me, especially if I'm talking to hundreds of people and I help one person. That's the only one that I would care about. If the other people wanted to think I was crazy, that was up to them. But if God reached one person, it would be worth it to me. One of Dr. Van Lommel's Dutch patients described a near-death experience that had taken place when she was first five years old. After she had contracted meningitis and fallen into a coma, she recalled that after she died, she was free of fear and pain and actually felt quite at home in the place she found herself. At one point, she was a young girl who looked to be about 10 years old. I sensed that she recognized me. She remembered. After the two girls embraced, the other girl said, I'm your sister. I was named after your grandmother. Our parents called me Riecha for short. After kissing her, Riecha said, you must go now. And in a flash, the young girl with meningitis returned to her body to the relief of her parents, opened her eyes. She excitedly told her parents about the experience and even drew them a picture of the sister who had welcomed her. My parents were so shocked That they panicked, she recalled. They got up and they left the room. When they returned, her parents confirmed that they indeed once had a daughter who died of poisoning. They had decided not to tell the other children about her until they felt they were old enough to understand the meaning of life and death. Dr. Van Lommel, who has studied numerous childhood accounts, notes that if a near death experience was based on wishful thinking, one ex- would expect children to say they met living family members, such as their father or mother. Instead, they were more likely to encounter their favorite childhood pets who had died. Dr. Van Lommel also found that very young children rarely experience a life review. It seems those begin around the age of six, and like adults, children find it difficult to talk about their experience. Not all good, but not every near-death experience is positive. Dr. Maurice Rawlings did not believe in God or the afterlife when he had a harrowing experience one evening in 1977 while doing a stress test a 40 year old man had a cardiac arrest and dropped dead in his office. Three nurses rushed in and began CPR while Dr. Rawling started external heart massage, but the heart would not maintain its own beat. Dr. Rawling recalls I had to insert a pacemaker wire into the large vein. The patient began coming to, but whenever I would reach for instruments, or otherwise interrupt my compression of his chest, the patient would again lose consciousness, stop breathing, and die once more. Each time he regained heartbeat and respiration, the patient screamed, I am in hell. He was terrified and pleaded with me to help him. I was scared to death. In fact, this episode literally scared the hell out of me. After several resuscitations, the man pleaded, Don't you understand? I am in hell. Each time you quit, I go back to hell. Don't let me go back to hell. I dismissed this complaint and told him to keep his hell to himself until I finished getting the pacemaker into place. But this man was serious. How do I stay out of hell? Pray for me, he begged. Pray for him. What nerve, I told him. I was a doctor, not a preacher. Pray for me, he repeated. It was a dying man request. So Dr. Rawlings drew on the little bit of Sunday school. He remembered, even if he didn't believe it himself, he had the man repeat after him what he continued while he continued working. Lord Jesus, I ask you to keep me out of hell. Forgive my sins. I turn my life over to you. If I die, I want to go to heaven. If I live, I'll be on the hook forever. The patient's condition finally stabilized. A couple of days later, Dr. Rawlings asked his patient to explain what he saw in hell. The patient could not recall any of the unpleasant events. Only pleasant ones when he again flatlined After the prayer, Rawlings reflects. Apparently, the experiences were so frightening, they were subsequently suppressed far into his subconscious. He does not recall standing in the back of the room and watching us work on his body there on the floor. He also recalls meeting both his deceased mother and stepmother during one of the subsequent death episodes. This experience was very pleasurable, occurring in a narrow valley with very lush vegetation and a brilliant illumination by a huge beam of light. He saw his birth mother for the first time. She had died at the age of 21 when he was 15 months old. This event changed Dr. Rawlings' beliefs, and after doing his own research, He writes in Beyond Death's Door, not all death experiences are good. The unpleasant experiences in my study have turned out to be at least as frequent as the pleasant ones. We will explore what this means in Rawlings' Theory of Blocked Memories in later chapters.